Welcome back to Love and Grit. My name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And man, do we have two great Philly stories for you today. Heather Merrill Thomason joins us on the show today, and she just happens to be one of the only females in the butcher's game. Uh huh. We will check in with her to see how she's remixing her business for life post Rona. Also, his name is synonymous with putting Philly's beard and haircut game on the map for the world's consumption. The iconic Fahim Alexander will share his Philly story. So let's get started with how we like to get started with a lightning round of Philly faves. I'm gonna let Justin do it because it was your idea anyway. Go ahead. I mean, it's hot out. So what's your favorite shadiest spot in the city? I just love the double entendre of that question. I know what mine is instantly. Okay, what you got, Jeff? Sister Cities Park. It's across from the cathedral in Logan Square. They call it like a boat park inside of it where kids can like stick their feet. It's like this little grotto. It's amazing. That sounds so sweet. It's really nice and it's definitely like a hidden gem. Dang, mine is kind of more broad because I really like riding my bike around Ben Franklin Parkway. So there are like mad shady spots. It's even shady spots that provide beer. <laughs> Get on your bike, ride, do the, do the whole loop. It's, I think it's a good 11 miles. You'll feel so much better. It's actually nine and a half to do the loop around the river. I know it because I used to have to run it in high school. The more you know. There's ways to cheat too, and we could discuss that later. We used to go across like the Columbia Railroad Bridge, but that's a story for another day. Oh, I can't wait. Okay, what you got, Rachel? I'm going to choose Fairmount Park. There's a lot of trails. There's definitely a lot of trees, so you can't go wrong with shade when it comes to the trees. You know what, especially like in the Wissahickon right now, it like grows over. It's so amazing, like how shady it is back there. Okay, well, let's get this thing started then. Leave it to a woman to revolutionize butchery, and so she has. Heather Merrill Thomason has literally gone to a place where no woman has gone before via her business, Primal Supply. She started with providing meats to notable Philly chefs and has expanded to now support more than a dozen regional farmers, a family-owned slaughterhouse, and provides a neighborhood butcher shop for South Philly, lucky them. But how does one get into cutting meats and why? When did you know you wanted to be a butcher? <laughs> We're just getting right into it. We're gonna yes. get right into it. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be a butcher sometime around the year of 2011. Makes me feel old saying that out loud. I was a graphic designer and I lived in Brooklyn at the time and I was really involved in my local food community, like farmers markets, food co-ops, all those things. And I started to get to know some farmers who were trying to raise pigs and sell them at the farmers market. And the supply chain and all of the support network for getting from the farm to a small customer is like so broken and so hard for small farmers. And I learned more and more about that. I don't know. I had a kind of period in my life where I was trying to figure out if what I was doing was what I wanted to keep doing and had this funny aha moment where all these things I had learned in my personal life about food systems, local farming, all that came together. And I was like, you know, I think if I learn to become a butcher, I could help fix these problems. And I told my husband and he somehow didn't think it was too crazy. <laughs> so you're saying in your childhood, there was no introduction of meat, the cutting of meat. There's no, because no... <laughs> to make that transition, I'm like, first of all, you have to be able to have a strong stomach. Cause that it's just, true. that's different than a graphic designer in that way. Like, can mm -hmm. you talk, talk about that transition? Cause I'm like, how did you go to <laughs> watching a pig get delivered to a farmer's market to actually being able to watch it get slaughtered and cutting it up in pieces yeah. and knowing what pieces that are important, all that stuff. I definitely like, I love food. You know, I'm always involved in food. I was always cooking since I was a kid. 
and, you know, learning about local food and seasonality just kind of brought me to these small farmers. No, I mean, I was dealing with pork chops in a package at the farmer's market. Wow. And just learning, you know, how hard it was for that farmer to get to that point of the pork chops at the farm. And that was the thing that inspired me to be like, I got to go learn how this happens. I think I could be a part of this. It's more, you know, it's more like sad. It's like less growth than it is, you know, um, this thing where you are trying to come to terms with the idea that if we're going to eat meat, we take the lives of animals, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and the person that did it, you know, talked before and during and after and was incredibly respectful and thoughtful about the way he introduced us to the process. And he was really careful and swift about his work. So it didn't seem like that animal suffered and things like that, which are really important. It was a really good model for me to see like, this is the way this could be done right. And maybe this is something that I want to help do more of. You know, it was intense and it wasn't an easy thing to watch, but it was something that I was resolved in that moment to think, okay, somebody's got to be able to deal with this. So how do you get from there in 2011 <laughs> to now 2020, you have two butcher shops in the city of Philadelphia. I do, yeah. And you service most of the best restaurants in Philadelphia. Right. Let's how does that down. happen over the course of a few <laughs> years from Brooklyn to being a butcher in Philadelphia? First of all, it starts with a flying leap off of a career cliff. I quit my own company that I had started with my husband. He actually still is a web developer and he still runs that small business today. But yeah, I said to him, you know, I think I'm going to start taking less of our projects and trying to figure out how to do this thing. And I tried to find some butchers to train me. That was a really hard thing to do. There's just not that many butchers doing craft butchery that have space in their small business to say, hey, person with no skills and lots of interest and love, come on in and get in our way. And I actually instead found a farmer who would take me on. So basically, I quit my own job, moved to a farm in Pennsylvania, coincidentally at the time, to work with a small livestock farmer. And I spent the season with him and his wife learning to raise pasture-based animals. That's what we do. We try to support, our mission is to support farmers that are raising animals on small farms on pasture year-round. And then while I was there, I found an unpaid internship, which the farming was as well, at a small whole animal butcher shop in California. And I convinced my husband to move there to Oakland so I could work in Berkeley. We need shop. to meet your husband. He sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, his, his sister lived in California, so it was like not the craziest week. So we went there for a while, and that's really where I trained. And then I met some people who were in the process of planning to open Kenson and Quarters, which is a restaurant here in Philadelphia that at the time we opened it with a full proper like traditional butcher shop inside of it. So I actually, after this kind of intense two, two and a half years of farming and then training and meat cutting and working at a small butcher shop, moved to Philadelphia to help open a butcher shop like that inside of a restaurant in Fishtown. And that's what brought me to Philly. And I did that. Uh, we opened it and I ran it for most of two years. And, um, it was a really great project. It was incredibly challenging to, trying to do all the things we were doing under one roof. And eventually I would use the two years that I spent in Philly getting to meet the amazing people in our local food community here, including chefs and small other producers and growers who became my friends and colleagues. And I decided that the work I was doing at Kensington Quarters to work with farmers and trucks and slaughterhouses, all this stuff that I could really do it for the city rather than just one restaurant butcher shop. So that's what brought me to launch Primal Supply. And yeah, so we have this cool kind of small local supply chain where we buy whole animals from responsible, sustainable farmers in the area. And then they go through a local family-owned slaughterhouse, which is basically a really great small business and the opposite of all the terrible things that you think about in large-scale industrial slaughterhouses. Mm -hmm. Then we bring that meat back to Philly, and we can, my team of butchers that I've trained and built up over four years, they cut it, and we 
have a really cool subscription program called the Butcher's Club, which is like a weekly meat box. So has it grown with people being in quarantine for the pandemic? For sure, yeah. So we were actually able to use all of the meat that we were already committed to buying from these farmers and my drivers and trucks who were previously delivering to restaurants. And we just pivoted the business and flipped all those resources into supplying home cooks. People are cooking at home more now than ever. So we have more customers as people are kind of feeling right now, like they want to support local, they want to care a little bit Mm -hmm. more where they're coming from, especially in times of uncertainty about food in the world. Are there many other women butchers? Across the country? There definitely is not. We consider ourselves a craft butcher. You know, we're working with whole animals and bringing back the older craft of butchery. And there is a butcher shop like ours in most major cities in the country at this point. It's been like a resurgence over the last decade, but most of at least, I would say the owners and operators are still men. More and more women are training in the butchery. My staff is actually predominantly female and that is not intentional. It just happens. They saw you and they knew they could do it. Yeah. And they're good. So are you sticking it to Omaha Steaks? Are they feeling the pain? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) do it, girl. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it's incredibly unfortunate. And yet the sort of like cracks that we've seen in the, you know, national food supply have all these things that we all knew. You know, if you've watched various documentaries like Food Inc. and stuff like that, you kind of knew about the ills of the, you know, industrial meat processing industry, but they make it really easy for us to not pay attention to that on the day to day. You know, your meat shows up really nicely packed at the grocery store and you're very separated from where it came from and the things that had to happen for it to get there. And when that all started to break down this past spring with so many workers getting sick and what that did to the animals and the supply and It's a weird small victory for those of us who work in the small local food movement to say like, hey, so many more people than ever care about, you know, what's bad and what's good in food systems in terms of how we treat people and animals as meat eaters. In that spirit, let me ask you then, Heather, because I've never been I've never been to a butcher having a butcher experience. But I know some people are wondering, like, what's the cost differential between me buying my food at my local grocery store or Whole Foods versus going to the butcher? Yeah, well, you know, Whole Foods is kind of somewhere in between us. And I have to say that over the last decade, There's lots to say about Whole Foods, you know, good and bad. But one thing that I will say that it's done for us, those of us working in local food, is that it has kind of educated and gotten people used to the idea that maybe they should pay more for food. You know, they they started selling groceries not at rock bottom prices, but at sort of real prices when you wanted to have organic or sustainably sourced things. So so they kind of warmed people up over the last 10 years to paying more, which helps. But the thing is that the prices that you pay for meat coming through that larger industrial supply chain in the grocery store is all subsidized. It's subsidized by the low wages that those workers make. It's subsidized by government making sure that there's plenty of corn and cheap feed for these animals to keep the cost down and raising them, which is not their natural diet. And all these things along the way that just make it possible for it to be artificially inexpensive. Our meat is expensive by comparison, but it's not expensive. It's based on a true cost of There's a farmer who owns some land who pays for feed from a local feed mill to feed these animals. Maybe they have some people that work on the farm that help them. We have to pay the services of a local slaughterhouse. We got to take the time and insurance and drivers to get it on trucks. Mm -hmm. Each of those things along the way cost some money. So when it comes to us, you know, we're putting a true value on this thing. And it's just, like I said, it's expensive by comparison. And I know that it's not, everyone can't afford it all the time. And I think even for everybody who can afford it, if we're going to really think about eating animals and what it means to the environment and all the rest, that it should be special. 
and it should be something that we're willing to pay a little bit more for and be thoughtful and not just expect to have it all the time. Let me remix that question then because I believe I got what you're saying in the sense that if you want quality, you pay for quality. And for all of those that can, they should do that. For mm -hmm. those who really, really, really can't, is there something that you can tell them to look for in their meat that, that should be like, don't, no, stay away? I think like, uh, you know, labels are really confusing and they're not that well regulated. So organic is really confusing for meat. It doesn't mean anything about how those, those animals are raised. It just means that they are organic, certified organic feed. So like a oh. chicken could be raised in a box, <laughs> but it could be certified organic if it eats organic feed. So I think you're really wanting to look for things that say, you know, pasture raised or cage free or free range, you know, that implies that, that animal might have had a more humane upbringing. Looking for things that say that they're not using hormones and antibiotics, because most of the use of those things is actually proactive. It's like they're giving them to animals because they're so crowded and they're likely to get sick that it's like, let's make them grow fast and not get sick in this not humane, you know, crowded situation that they're mm -hmm. being raised. Mm -hmm. So if you see things where it says, you know, free range, hormone free, antibiotic free, that's starting to imply that there was some thought given to the well-being and the life of that animal raised for me. You spoke but, for your love of animals and I would assume nature. Do you have favorite places within our region that you like to visit that really speaks to that? I've been doing a ton of research myself because I want to get out and get some fresh air on the weekends. And what else do we do? And I am a huge fan of the Wissahickon. We take our dog for um, hikes there. And if you can find a creek and get your toes wet on a day like today, that's, that's a thing. Yeah. Dog days been, of summer. Yeah. I've been, I have in my, I have yet to do it. It's August. I still have a month to go. I've been looking at places to get in rivers, either on the Delaware or the Brandywine. I guess that there's a number of organizations there that will take you out in like canoes and tubes and things to Tubing cool. on the Brandywine is fun. You've done it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's another trip for us. That's another field trip for the host. And I mean, Heather, we would love to invite you. We have a couple of places that our guests recommend. And we're like, you know what? It's going to have our own, our turn to tours. Like yeah, but I'm not putting on a bathing suit in front of you guys. And I'm no, not getting my hair wet. So get your shorts and t-shirt and we're good. And can I see my hand in that water? Because I don't do the water unless I can see my hand. You don't have to touch the water, like if you don't want to. <laughs> I can't wait. Yes, definitely looking forward to that you one. Go on yes, my you know, order some sausages. Yes. Riverside. Primalsupplymeat.com. You can learn all about what we do. And I would recommend for home cooks to either check out our subscription CSA or just our regular old butcher grocer shop online and pick up an order. We Thanks, will definitely guys. do that. Yeah, you guys have like such beautiful, positive energy, especially right now. I appreciate that. You're awesome, Heather. Thank yes. you. Thank, Thank you for joining you. us. All right, so let's be very clear. There is one man from Philadelphia who defines barbers, like Philly haircuts, that like has a, the name recognition. There's one man, when you say, who is the barber that is the man in Philly? You go, Fahim Alexander. Like, it's not a choice. Ever since, I feel like it was a lyric in a root song, life has just changed ever since there, and Fahim has become an international superstar based on what he can do to your beard and your head. Is that a lie? No, that's actual facts. It's a hieroglyphic. You know how Big Daddy Kane said, my rhymes will remain like a hieroglyphic? My haircuts, that verse, is a hieroglyphic. So it's history. It's history in Philadelphia. It's history in pop culture. History of hip-hop. So how did you get started with cutting or clippers? Like, where um, did it come from? Did you want to do it? Or did you I mean, just pick I wanted, them up one day? I mean, I wanted to do it. I'm born and raised here in South Philadelphia. 
My mentor's name was Jazz, and he was a neighborhood barber. And he was very influential in the 80s with the box haircut. So I started by cleaning his barbershop. So, you know, one day, you know, just playing with his clippers inside the barbershop, I wasn't supposed to, you know, just turned them on, you know, just flipped the power. And I just was wondering, you know, how do these work? So I was an artist as a child. I used to draw box haircuts and outlines and just sketching. So, you know, I kind of like figured it out. You know, I'm going to use these clippers as my pencil through life, you know, to create and, you know, make wow. creation look good. God's creation look good. Is it scarier when the canvas is someone's face or head? I mean, at first it was. You have to remember, like a Ron, how to cut this person's hair or put this fade in. So that was the difficult part, remembering how to the last cut that you did. Do you hate when people bring in pictures and are like, I would want to look like this. And it's like, you don't look like that lady or a man. I mean, (laughs) first and foremost, the first thing I say, your texture of hair. If your texture is hair like this certain person, you could get the style. But if the texture is not, no, it's going to be difficult. Is that is there an example of that, Fahim? Like lately, like is some celebrity out there with dudes come in? They like, yo, dude, I want that cut right there. Actually, I just did a a platform for GQ Mag. It's a video platform called Make Me Look Like. So I actually was cutting regular gentlemen that I didn't even know, and they come up with like, okay, I want you to do the James Harden haircut. You know, when James Harden was winning his mohawk and his fading spirit. They had me do that. So, yes, people do come in and say, hey, could you make me like like the Jane Martin haircut? I'm like, sure, I could do that. That's no problem. I remember, I don't so, want to date myself, but I feel like on, I do remember it, do it, do it. in college <clears throat> in the 90s, <clears throat> that in college in Atlanta in the 90s, I remember when a, a Philly dude came to, I went to Clark Atlanta, and a Philly dude came and opened up a barbershop. And so began to me the movement of the ink, that's something that Philly brought to the rest of the world. Am I tripping? Is, is that a Philly thing? Absolutely right. I mean, they, people say Philadelphia has the best barbers. So if you get a Philly guy that go to a neutral site anywhere in the country, you know, they bring in a Philly style of barbering there. So Atlanta was like the hub. A lot of people from up here, North Philadelphia, went to school mm-hmm. down there to make a living. And then you have barbers to go down there because the African-American economy was starting to boom yeah, in the 90s. It was. Did the Roots find you or did you find the Roots? How did that happen? Because that really helped launch you, right? Yes, I'm going to tell you uh, honestly, I think it was like 1996. They were selling CDs at the time. So the Roots had an in-store for their album, Do You Want More? I was just always a huge fan of the Roots for my friend Tachi, actually one of my guys that learned how to cut hair. Uh, he introduced me to him. It was one of the things I just spoke into existence. I just said, I wish I knew the brother. You know, I want to cut his hair. I want to cut his beard. You know, I like his beard. This is Tariq. That's all. Wow. So, you know, I just spoke into existence. So the next following year, just hanging out in South Street one day, Tower Records. I think I went to go buy Jay-Z. I think it was volume one. And I went to go buy the Roots record. So, you know, I was down South Street area and I seen Air Smooth, Sean White. So they go, my God, this might be my opportunity. They go, Black Thought. They was together. This is before I knew they was like close friends. So, you know, I got out the car, you know, introduced myself to Sean, introduced myself to Black Thought. Hey, you know, I cut here. Here's my business card. And, you know, I had a nice run with the Roots over 20 years. Wow. I serviced them. And um, like I said, the brother blessed me to see the world, to see the country. I mean, first time I ever been out of Philadelphia was to go to New York City. That was a blessing. So it just was. It was When's just the like, furthest you've, you've traveled to cut hair? Uh, London, 2004. Tariq booked me a flight to come to Europe to service him and service the roots. And there's a funny story with that. The electric current is different over there. So I, I plugged my clippers up and it just like, boom, 
stopped working. Oh no. <laughs> stopped working. Yep. So I had another pair of clippers that I used to finish his haircut. I was so hyped. Listen, <laughs> I even left my clippers in the airport. No. I mean, oh goodness. London Heathrow Airport. So what did you do? Damn. God is good. God is amazing. Like my clippers were still there. I went back. So what's next for you? What do you have coming up? I have another huge partnership with Gillette. So there's one barber convention. Gillette was its major sponsor out in California in two years ago. So, you know, I always wanted to honestly work for Gillette. It was just one piece that they were missing was barbering because Gillette has always been associated with the barber shops. You know, I just approached them and let them know, you know, hey, you know, real friendly, what you guys got going on? You know, oh, we got this razor. And this razor they were marketing was, was called the Skin Guard. I used them on my own head and I got a smooth cut, no irritation, no nothing. So I said, heck, like they really like changed the game with these razors. So they formed something that's called the Barber Council. We give them like beautiful information about the barber community. They take care of us. Like, they take real good care of us. I was just thinking as you were talking about uh, shaving and the razor, I was like, can you speak to the world about the relationship between Philly and the beard? The history. Let's talk about the, the history. history. I mean, that's what um, I mean. For one, Philadelphia is a big Islamic community. Mm -hmm. So in Islam, the beard is represents greatness among Muslim practicing Muslim. Uh, even before that, you know, we can go back to Teddy Pendergrass. Mm. Teddy always had a beard. It always looked <laughs> good on him. And he was one uh, of the first. One of the, one of the first. Yeah. With, the, with the beard. Then, you know, later on, you know, you had Gerald Levert's father. You know, he wore his beard. Eddie Levert. Of course, he came to Philadelphia and got music written from Gamble and Gamble Huff. Gamble and Huff. Never they put wrote. that together with the beard. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. so there you go. That's the beginning right there. Sound of Philadelphia. 30 years later, you know, Rick Ross, you know, he used to hang in Philadelphia, late 90s, early 2000s. What <laughs> products would you suggest as we in this COVID for brothers to take care of, and, and others, because it ain't just a brother thing. You, I see it on your page, you take care of all, everybody's beer, white included. How do you do that at yeah. home? Like, give them some tips um, on how they can keep it right. Definitely, I like, I'm a real big fan of tea tree, tea tree shampoo, okay. tea tree conditioner. That's okay. very, very good to clean the skin. Open pores. We know you love barbering and, you know, obviously you have love for Philadelphia. What do you love about our region? The people in Philadelphia are beautiful. People are very strong in Philadelphia. Just the culture, the crust of people, connection is what I love. And that's how I express myself through barbering. Just the love, the love that was given to me, you know, from my peers and my family, you know, I just give it back. Do you have any favorite places? People always ask me, where are some good food places? I said, you can't go wrong with the Retin Terminal. The Retin Terminal is the bomb. Any taste that you want, I mean, from ice cream to chitlins, you could get down in Retin Terminal. <laughs> you can't get no chitlins at Retin Terminal. But you can get some amazing turkey products yes, at the Goshaw's counter. Yes, yes. Uh, God, Goshaw's, I love Goshaw's. Oh. My wife, I mean, she, she shops there religiously. And then the wings yeah, is right daughter, with you. Uh, don't, that's, don't talk about the Amish wings. You get the roasted ones. <laughs> and you get the rotisserie ones. Oh, and, and then pick you up uh, a, a juice and lemonade on the way out. Oh, Any kind of lemonade. Oh, juice. my God. Oh, oh my God. goodness. And they're doing pickup and delivery now. Are they? Yeah. Look at his eyes okay. got so big. Yep. <laughs> I'm actually about to get on the 17 bus and go down. The <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for making time before you hit Reading Terminal for lunch to talk to us. Yes. I, I, no, I, I really appreciate you guys. This is a beautiful platform that you guys have. Uh, visit Philadelphia. I like it. I'm a fan of the guys' brand. And we of you.
So I guess our theme for this episode was cutting. Yeah, it was. That's how great Philadelphia is. It's so diverse when you look at these two folks and like their amazing stories and how they've used scissors and clippers and knives to their advantage. And how they're both icons in their industry. Yeah, and these are like staunch Philadelphians. Yes. Well, we love staunch Philadelphians and we hope you're one of them. We know you are because you're listening to Love and Grit. But tell your friends about us. And please, if you have a couple seconds, rate and review us wherever you're listening to us. If it's on Apple, if it's on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And I was going to add, only if you have something nice to say, please. I'm <laughs> you know, only nice comments. Only five-star <laughs> ratings. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.